0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Have a seat, everybody. We all need just a little more Jesus, don't we? Uh, it's it's been a it's cool watching. If you didn't know uh, this this. Is our sister in Christ right here, Sydney McLaughlin? Is uh, part of the West Side Church. So she grew up in the Central Jersey Church of Christ. She was baptized last November uh, in the uh, West Side. Uh, she's 21 years old, but she just broke the world's record and won the gold uh, in 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 the Olympics. So that's pretty awesome. There's also. Um, if you're new to our, our group, we're part of a, a collection of churches, of family churches around the world called the International Churches of Christ. Uh, and uh, there's other, other members of our church that were part of, of the Olympics too. There's a guy named uh, Daniel Rowden, I think it'll be on the screen here. Daniel Rowden from UK, uh, Christina, Mary Knott from the Philippines, and Ali Atkinson from Jamaica. They all represented in the Olympics, and they're all disciples in our, our family of churches, which is really cool. Amen. So we're going to be continuing a series today called God With Us. It's uh, our second installment. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to go and be turning over there. A quick story here, or a quick uh, thought. It was kind of weird. I had this dream a couple nights ago, and uh, I was hanging out with Jerry Seinfeld. Who knows who Jerry Seinfeld is? Okay. So uh, we were hanging out, and I was... uh, at this party, and it was, we were talking about, we were kind of talking like one celebrity to another, you know, (laughs) and um, so I was telling him how we used to watch Seinfeld every day, my wife and I, after I would get off work about seven uh, from my my office job, and uh, you know, it was just our tradition, every single day we would watch Seinfeld reruns, and I was, he was like, okay, what was the timing, and we were explaining, oh yeah, it was the reruns, every night but then the, the actual new one you had to watch on thursday night how many of you guys remember this a few of you remember yeah, like every thursday was i can't remember what they called it don't miss thursday or must must watch thursday or so. they had some thing must see tv must see tv there we go nbc still with us but uh but anyway i was reminded i was telling him about that yeah we used to watch and then I, and, and then i was like yeah but then we stopped watching you and he was like what happened like why did you stop watching me and i was like well actually we had kids and uh Uh, we we had little ones, and we, that time, that 7 p.m. time became, that became, we tried to have family dinner, and we would do story time, and bath time, and so, so we kicked you out, Jerry Seinfeld, for our kids, and um, it was funny, and he was like, oh, well, that makes sense, you know, but it was funny, because it was just a weird dream, but you would never, like, equate watching Seinfeld reruns with having kids, you know, like, kids are so infinitely more it's so much more to my life, right? And, and, and the stage that we're in right now, this might have been part of why I had the dream, but we're kind of launching our kids. Our oldest uh, son is in college at, uh, at Long Beach City College. He, he's done all online classes, still doing all online. Uh, my middle son, Marshall, he is, did Pepperdine last year all online, but he's going in person this, this fall, so we just moved him into his dorm room on Friday. So it's a very emotional time, especially for his mom. Uh, you know, him him leaving the nest. And uh, then our youngest is a senior in high school this year. It's just crazy to imagine that our little baby girl is a senior in high school. But it made me think about this message of Matthew, which is that the kingdom of God is something new and different, and it's worth everything. It's worth replacing everything else. And so there's all these stories in Matthew about, like, a guy who 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 sold everything he had to buy a pearl— We can't really relate to that. Like, I don't, what what pearl, why would I care about a pearl? Or this woman who had this coin that was worth so much value that it was like everything to her that she had lost it. And then when she found it, she called all of her friends together and had a big party because she found this lost coin. Or the lost son, the son who was lost and then was returned and then they threw a huge party. That's a theme throughout Matthew, this idea of this kingdom that's worth everything that there's nothing you can't compare it in value and it's kind of like that story where you know the anything else in life is like Seinfeld reruns like it's fun I enjoy it you know there's there's an appeal but it's nothing like my family right there's no comparison that's what the kingdom of God is is like and I hope that you that this really comes through as we're going through the book of Matthew you see that this is worth everything this amazing kingdom and the thing about it is it's a kingdom for everybody it's a kingdom for everyone. So here's where we're going. We, we, uh, we showed the first Bible Project video. This is like when the, when the video's done. This is all of it, right? So you can't even hardly take it all in. But since we have this giant screen, I thought I'd put it up here and just show you kind of where we've been. You know, we've got to use it. <clears throat> so Rhett started out last week, week, and so we're using, his, we're using the Bible Project the way that they arranged it to be our, our lessons for the series. So the first one was chapter 1 through 3 and you see here chapter 1 through 3 is kind of the way the bible project kind of thinks about it it's loosely categorizes they're trying to connect jesus to the old testament like how does jesus fit into the big story of what god has been doing in the world so there's all these parallels the way that jesus fulfills these old testament promises and there's these parallels to these things that happened in In the Old Testament, like, for example, Israel being called out of Egypt. Jesus went to Egypt and was called out of Egypt. You know, there's all these things that kind of parallel the Old Testament. Jesus is similar to Moses in a lot of ways. He's a lot like Moses, and that's going to be throughout the book of of Matthew we're going to see. But Red talked about how the story of God's people is a story of ordinary people. Like, even in Matthew's, and Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews, um, but he in, in his he highlights some women in his 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 story, which is not normal to do in those days. Normally, it would be like it was this man and this man and this man and this man. You know, the women are like I don't even know. But he has all of these women in there. This was, his mom was this woman, his mom was this woman, his mom was this woman, and they're not just women. They're like a couple of them are prostitutes. They're like. You know, they're women that in that society, you would be like, I don't want to even to know that I'm related to that person. And yet in Matthew's gospel, he's saying this is where our Savior comes from. He comes from this line of all these people like you and me. And think of Matthew. He's a Jew writing to Jews. And what was Matthew's job? Anybody know? Oh, yeah, Steve. Steve, come on. You got to let somebody else answer. (laughs) Yes, he was a tax collector. And uh, tax collectors, did the Jews like him or hate him? They hated their guts, right? Because somebody who's a tax collector is basically saying, I've given up on my Jewishness. My, I, 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 I'm not going to make a good Jew, so I'm going I'm I'm to align myself with the Romans and steal money from my countrymen. So here's a guy who's given up on, 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 on being a Jew, and the Jews have given up on him, but he's the one that Jesus chose, and, and, and now he's writing this gospel. Um, the teens we've been watching, Chosen. Who, who's seen Chosen, the series? That's it. Okay, okay. You guys got to do this. So there's a free app. It's called The Chosen. Like e- you can even download it while I'm talking. I won't be offended because it's so worth it. It's called The Chosen, and they're, I don't normally like Bible movies. Like, I, I just a lot of them. I just they they get the details wrong. They they purposely go you know against stuff that's in the Bible. They go, hey, we could do it better. Like Noah. You know what I mean? Like it's a, just horrible, horrible, horrible Bible movies. But this, The Chosen is not like that. The Chosen is really good. They're, so they've added all kinds of stuff because the whole series is basically each of these apostles and kind of their backstory. And so they make a lot of it up, but it's in line with the text. And anytime there's a part from the text, they use the text. So I really appreciate that. But it's so good. So you got to do it. The, the, the video, the, it's all free. Uh, you can donate to them and stuff, but it's through the app or through the website, The Chosen. But uh, anyway, the chosen videos, so Matthew is one of the characters that is kind of woven through the chosen a lot, and uh, they, they made some interesting choices with, with how he interacts with Peter and stuff like that. It's really cool. But these are real people, right? These are real people that we're reading about, and Matthew was a real person, and he felt like he was a nobody, but God had a plan for even an outsider like him. So now, we're, here, here's where we're going to zoom in here. We're going to zoom in on four through seven uh, now today, which is... Uh, announcing God's kingdom. So in chapter four through seven, so right there at the end of chapter three, Jesus is baptized and then the Spirit comes and, and there's a voice from heaven. And again, there's a lot of parallels to Old Testament, like the the, the water of the, of the flood or the water of the uh, coming through the Red Sea, God's Spirit being above the waters, even in the, the beginning of G- Genesis, God's Spirit is speaking. Uh, you know, then there's the testing in the desert at the beginning of chapter four. Jesus is tested in the desert, just like God's people were tested in the desert. Remember that. So there's all these parallels that, from a narrative standpoint, Matthew is pointing to that are just kind of interesting. Like, okay, God's story keeps repeating. God, God, God's story, but he, but he's taking us somewhere, right? He's br- bringing us this new. There's nobody like Jesus before. Jesus is like Israel, but perfect Israel, you know. And and so he's fulfilling all of these prophecies and all of these plans that God had. For his people, so we don't have time to really dig into. There's so much Matthew four through seven. I mean, you could do a whole series on each one of those chapters, right? That's such dense uh, stuff. It's so good. But let's go ahead and turn over to chapter four and just kind of see where we're at here in the text. And I'm going to say a word of prayer as we open the Bible. God, thanks to be able to look into your scriptures. Uh, Thank you for Jesus and His Word. Thank you for His perfect example. Uh, Thank you for this community right here and the relationships we have in this room and on this live stream, and uh, just the way that you've blessed us with each other, and I pray that we can really be there for each other, and I pray that you would uh, just bless our time today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I know I haven't been talking 33 minutes, right? Uh, I don't know how long I've been talking, but... Okay, good. So, I I mean, I'll, I'll try to remember. I was probably talking five minutes, I'm guessing, so... Uh, okay, so John the Baptist, uh, we, we talked about him a little bit last week. Jesus tempted in the desert. How does Jesus combat Satan? He uses the text. He uses the word of God. So that's a, that's a key, right? If we want to conquer sin in our lives, we've got to use the Bible. You can't do it without the word of God. And uh, so then he begins to preach. He's, he has a message that the kingdom of God, the good news of this new king and this new kingdom is here. And it's now. And, and he's announcing the kingdom of God. And this fulfills, Matthew says, this fulfills this prophecy uh, that these areas where he was, and and we'll look at that in just a second here, these areas hadn't seen prophets before, or they were dark areas, but now this is where Jesus is doing his ministry, the land of Zebulun and, and, and Naphtali and the Galilee of the Gentiles in verse 15. So then Jesus calls his first disciples and that's what the, 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 the Chosen series is all about. And so he's got these people he's ministering to, but he has people that are special that are like, you're gonna, I'm going to mentor you, and, and you're going to walk with me, and I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men, and, and, and I, you know, you're going to follow me and learn from me. And so th- those are his disciples that they leave everything behind and they follow him. And so now he's got his disciples with him and he's healing the sick, and he's, he's helping the poor. And uh, look in verse 24 we're in Matthew 4:24 news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon possessed those having seizures the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds from Galilee the Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him so here we have the kind of the outline of 4 through 7 so so he's announcing this new kingdom, and then he's going to get into the Sermon on the Mount. See that up there? And and this is kind of broken out what the Sermon on the Mount is about, and that's what we're going to be looking at. But first I want to talk about who he's talking to. So next slide here is a a map. So he he says there's people from Syria. So if you look, everybody see Galilee right up there towards the top? So that's the area that, that that prophecy was about, and that's where Jesus was doing a lot of his ministry. Syria was north of there. And then he's talking about the Decapolis. The Decapolis is all these cities that are black dots. Those are really pagan cities. Those are Roman cities. So even the the, the pagans are coming to Jesus and being healed by him and being helped by him and listening to him. So for the Jews, that would have been like, whoa, we don't feel great about these people. right? these These are the people who have overthrown our people. These are the people who are taking advantage of us. But those are the people from the Decapolis. And then you have people from Galilee, it says, up here. So Galilee is like the religious people, the religious uh, the Jewish people who really feel their Judaism. They're really trying to live it. And there's a contrast between them and the Jews living down in Jerusalem and Judea. Jerusalem is the ruling class and the people who are sort of kind of taking advantage of other people. And then Judea is the religious people that are kind of, they're kind of a little bit soft on their religion. Like they're Jewish, but they also, like the Herodians, they also, they like power, they like they like the worldliness that the Romans bring and all that kind of stuff. So there's this, the point is there's this real mix of people that you see that are coming to Jesus, that are part of this kingdom work that Jesus is doing. And in verse five, it says, uh, chapter five, verse one, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus is, is uh, he's got all these crowds of people and then it says, so then he, goes up on this mountainside and it was probably right there around the sea of galilee somewhere probably up there at the top like near capernaum they think is probably the location of the sermon on the mount and so i just want to explain a little bit of this terminology so jesus is a rabbi so he's a teacher and in in the language of a rabbi when it says he sat down that's that's language for i'm teaching now so even that in Luke's gospel, Luke, remember he's in the synagogue and he's handed a, a, a scroll and, a, and he, it says he, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and then he sat down. And then it says he was filled with all these wonderful words. So we read that in our culture, we think, oh, that was a really short sermon. In fact, I heard a preacher talk about that not long ago. That was a super short sermon. He just read Isaiah and then sat down. No, he read Isaiah and then he sat down and that's when the sermon began. We just don't have the sermon. It says he began with these words, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It says he began with those words. So he reads Isaiah, and then he reads down and says, sits down and says, this is now fulfilled in your hearing. And then he started to teach. So the, the sat down thing is, is rabbi speak for now he's going to teach. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? So, so he's, he's teaching, and it says his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So who is he teaching? His disciples, Right. So what about the crowd? Is the crowd there? Is the crowd not there? Scholars like to debate that. Who is listening to this sermon? What is this sermon? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But skip over to the end of the sermon, Matthew 7. So we're just kind of frame where does the sermon start, where does the end? The end of the sermon here, Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus was a rabbi, but he was a new kind of rabbi and a new kind of teacher. And who who now does it say is listening? The crowd, right? So so not... Somehow the disciples were listening, and the crowd was listening. And so it's, it's kind of hard to know, is this a sermon he gave in one setting? Some scholars say this is a collection of, like, all of Jesus' teachings that he was just talking. If you, if you follow a certain teacher, they're going to have certain themes that they repeat again and again and again. And so if you were going to say, here's the teaching of this person, you, you, know, you would kind of uh, know what that is, right? Uh, others say that this is, no, this is one sermon, and you got to make sure it's all together, and you follow it uh, all uh, along, and... and uh, you know, so there's there's scholars that say that um, I'm, I'm reading a book by that uh, Michael recommended to me, "Divine Conspiracy," uh, by Dallas Willard. It's it's a book I'm going to spend a lot of my life with or a lot of time with because it's a very dense, you know, 500 page book. It's really good, but he, he he goes through the Sermon on the Mount and and talks about it being uh, really the key to spiritual formation. And, and, and you have to go through it in order. And, you know, he, it was put together for a certain order for a certain reason. And so he really believes it has to stay together. And, and what we do is, you know, we do pull all kinds of things out of it. There are so many good things in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I, w- I want to open it up here for a second. Raise your hand and share something that you know is in the Sermon on the Mount that's a teaching of Jesus. So I know we have a lot of Bible people here. Yeah. Casey. You want me to come back? What is it? The wide and narrow road. Okay, good. Yeah. Blancos? Blessed, Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, we're going to look at that one, Sandy. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Yeah, those are all in the Beatitudes. Yeah. Uh, building, on building on solid rock, not on the sand. Yeah. What else? Yeah. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Absolutely. Yeah, Michael. Uh, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Yeah. The road is narrow. How about your enemy? What, what are you supposed to do? Love your enemies? Hate your enemies? Love your enemies? Somebody forces you to go one mile, go two. Uh, somebody wants to sue you and take your cloak. We don't, nobody mentioned those ones. <laughs> those <are like> that. <laughs> we don't like those ones as much, right? Love my enemies? Shoot, I don't like that part. So yeah, this, this is good, good stuff in here. Not judging others. Uh, tre- treasure in heaven, storing up treasure in heaven. There's... You know, it's so dense, so, so dense. But we want to talk a little bit about what Jesus is doing. So uh, what Dan mentioned, so let me show this picture. This is a, what's called a wadi in in desert in the desert. And this is something I learned from the Bama podcast. Anybody listening to Bama podcast? But so a wadi is this area. See how it's sand in the middle? And so you have flash floods in the desert. Just like anybody, if you've ever been in Palm Springs and had a flash flood while you were there. That happened to us one time. We got stuck in our hotel so yeah, you have flash floods in the desert. And so the flood comes through this wadi and it just, that's why it's just sand there. So when he's saying, that was kind of a, of a, a saying, I guess, of his time or a thought or a wisdom saying of, of his time of, of not building on the sand because the, in the middle of the wadi, it's, sure, it might be easy to build there, but then the rain's going to come and the flood's going to come and you're gonna, your house is going to get knocked down. So you got to build on the rock, which is up there. So Jesus says that his teaching, right where we left off uh, in Matthew seven, you know, the end of his of his sermon is that the all these things I've just said, the Sermon on the Mount, all those principles, all these teachings that he has, this is the difference between up there or down here. This is the difference between a, a life that gets demolished by the world, by what by your environment, or a life that stands strong, and so. Uh, Scholars think that Jesus is continuing in this this teaching because he keeps talking about righteousness. And righteousness, the the Greek word for righteousness was a a word that all the the Greek scholars like to talk about, that Plato liked to talk about. What does it mean to be righteous or virtuous? You know, we've probably heard all these kind of Greek stories about virtue, right? So this was already a a, a thought in Jesus' time. But what does it mean to be virtuous? What does it mean to have a virtuous society, what does it mean to to, to, to have you know, a society where people like get along and, and you live well? And, and what's a good life and who are the good people? And so Jesus is telling this sermon to say, here is the real truth of who the good people are and what a good life is and what a virtuous society is. This is what real righteousness is. And and, and I'm gonna explain it to you, and this is gonna be the difference in in your life and, and whether it's it's good or whether it's bad. So the sermon is, next slide. It's how to live in God's kingdom. It's, it's who is in the kingdom. Who, it's an upside-down kingdom, as we're going to look at, that, that the people that are in this kingdom, and upside-down values to this kingdom. And then what is this kingdom here to do? It's, it's here to fulfill God's plan. It's here to fulfill God's law and his—when uh, when the Bible says Torah, when the Bible says law, it means Torah— uh, is the word and the word and Torah is the law, but it's also the story. It's the story of God and what he's doing in the world and his people and all that. And we'll talk about that. And it's also transforming the, how to live in this kingdom, is it, it's transforming people one by one. Our lives and our hearts changed to be able to have a community of love. So we're going to talk about these three things uh, who, what, and how as we see it in, in, in this. And I'm just going to kind of scratch the surface because, like I said, Sermon on the Mount is so deep and so good. And I really encourage you to spend some time on it. So let's go back to the beginning. A few of you mentioned these, the, the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, verse 3. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's stop right there. So blessed, it means for God's favor to be on you. You know, to to have that good life. Like like this is a virtuous person. This is a, you know, God's favor rests on this person. And um, you know, I've heard different things taught about the Beatitudes. It's kind of hard to know what, what Jesus meant. You know, when I was growing up, I heard these are the be attitudes, like these are the attitudes we need to have. I don't know if you ever heard that before. Like, I need to be these things. But the thing is, is these are kind of weird things. If you think about it, I need to be these, right? Like, um, you know, like, first of all, even just poor in spirit, like just the first one, poor in spirit, so that means uh to be poor. Like, Jesus is, the picture he's talking about is the people that are homeless, that live out in in Gehenna, like, that live out by the trash dumps. Like, that, that's the, so if you think of, like, Skid Row, or the homeless encampments that we have in our area, like, to be that, but in spirit. Like, wait, what? Like, that's, I'm supposed to be, that's not, I'm supposed to be full of the spirit. I want to be full, I don't want to be poor in spirit, you know, or, uh, you know. Mourn. I mean, who wants to mourn, right? Mourning is not something I would want to do or it's something that happens to you, right, when you have incredible loss. So what is Jesus saying? And you can even just go through them. What I think, and, and, and this is what uh, Dallas Willard argues and, 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 and the Bama podcast, they argue as well, is God is saying that, that the kingdom is for people in every situation and even in your darkest moments, like even in the hardest, the hardship. He can't be saying that, you, you're not blessed if you're not poor in spirit, right? Because there are people who are full of spirit that are blessed. Or you can't be saying, you're, you know, who, whoever's not mourning is not blessed. No, it's that you're blessed even when you are in mourning. Like, that's, that's where God's kingdom is. It's in that hardship. It's in that difficulty. It's in the, it's, it's, it's in the, the places we don't want to sometimes go. Right? And isn't that true of our lives? Like, if, you, if you're a disciple today and you think about your life and how you became a disciple... Didn't God use like your darkest stuff, your hardest things? I mean, it was like you. That's when God works. That blessed are you when you're in that that darkness. Now it's not, God's not saying, "Oh, it's so great that you're having a hard time," but God, that's the kingdom, right? We we we, we were with Ling and Clarice for a few hours yesterday, and and, and we just lost Ping a, a week ago, and 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 man, it's just dark. It's hard. It's difficult. But it's like, but but as we prayed together and we cried together and we talked together, it's like. This is the kingdom. You know, this is the kingdom. This is, I mean, we, you know, like, like remembering Ping and remembering things about him. And, I mean, blessed are those who mourn. Like, God is here with us, you know. And, and, and Ling is wrestling with things, but she's faithful and she's so grateful for God. And God is speaking to her and God is helping her and God is with her. And, you know, I'll tell you the story sometime about uh, how God like, put a sign in the sky for her. It's just an amazing story. It's like, like my hope story, you know. But, but that, that's what, I think that's what he's talking about. Because meek, if you, if you think about being meek, I mean, meek is, is not something you aspire to be. Meek is like, I have power, but I can't use it, or I'm not using it. Like, I'm in reserves, or I'm being even oppressed. The meek are even can sometimes be thought of as the oppressed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for something, do you have a lot of it? No, it means you don't have it. I, I need righteousness. I need justice. I need... I need connection, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm hungry. Uh, blessed are the merciful. I mean, mercy, yeah, we all want to be merciful, but think about what that means. If you're merciful, that means you have been wronged, doesn't it? I mean, if you've got to show somebody mercy, it's because they did something to you. So, so th- this is, God is saying, this is where the kingdom works. It's in our relationships, and it's in our midst, and it's, and it's with the down and outs. So that's, that's the upside down kingdom. It's not this, not by might or by power or by this conquering army. It's this meek, humble man who was born in a stable, you know, in the shadow of, of the greatest uh, king that ever lived. King Herod is, has been said to be the richest man that ever lived on planet earth, way richer than anybody else. And, and, he, and he did everything big. I mean, if you think I mean, this is not political at all, but if you think Trump does things big, like his name and letters, gold letters and does, you know, all that stuff, Herod was that times 10. I mean, he would just over the top with everything he built. And he was the most rich and powerful man that ever lived. And then Jesus is, he, you know, and, and he's so afraid of his, losing his power. I mean, that, the story in Matthew is, is dramatic, how he contrasts Jesus with Herod. That's the upside on kingdom. That's who is in God's kingdom. It's you and me. It's ordinary people. And it's even in our hardship and even in our difficulty. All right. And so then he says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we could do a lot on this scripture, we don't have have time, but this is the community, this community of the broken, this community of the of, of the blessed that we just talked about. That is who the light of the world is. It's that even in our hardship, even in our difficulty, we're we're connecting to God and each other. And, and, the, and we become this hope. We become that that the upside-down kingdom is the hope of the world. It's God's great rescue operation for this world. For all of the injustice, for all of the hardship, for all of the the sin and suffering that's in our world, the kingdom is God's answer. And we don't feel that way. Like, I don't feel like I'm an answer to anything, right? I feel like I'm broken, and I'm just glad to be here. But that's the amazing thing. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth that, that brings salvation, that brings preservation to the earth. That's who we are in God's kingdom, not because of us, but because of him and his amazing story, And so he says in verse 17, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill the law or the Torah. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the Torah, they will, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't be in the kingdom unless your righteousness is beyond all these people who are teaching you this stuff. That's, that's a radical statement, isn't it? And Jesus says, I came to fulfill the Torah. I didn't come to take away. I came to fulfill everything in the Old Testament everything that was part of God's story, I came to fulfill the Torah. So that's what what is happening in the kingdom is all of this Old Testament, all the prophecies, all of God's plan, it's all being fulfilled in Jesus and his kingdom. So God God pulls his people out of Egypt in slavery and and he brings them to the promised land and, and he gives them his Torah, he gives them his law, he gives them prophets to guide them, but they keep messing up. And he says... When he pulls them out of Egypt, what does he say? He says, "I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are my people now." And so, priests, a royal priesthood, meaning that they're going to be the light to the world. They're going to salvation to all the world is going to come from Jerusalem. But but they keep falling and they keep you know getting off track and they keep uh, following like the nations around them instead of being a light to the nations around them. And so, but it's all part of God's plan, His perfect. Uh, plan to bring his Messiah who would bring the true kingdom and would fulfill all of that, would fulfill Torah. So when Jesus says, uh, what, what, what uh, Marty Solomon says is when he says, I'm fulfilling Torah, uh, this is, re- Marty Solomon is the, is the, the rabbi, the teacher on, uh, on Bema. He says, he's saying, I am, when you talk about fulfilling it, it's not like, like just fulfilling prophecies like predictive prophecy, but it's living it out. Like this is what it looks like to live Torah. Like, I am showing you what it is to live, to truly live God's law. To truly live the Ten Commandments should look like Jesus. To truly live the Ten Commandments should look like this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's not so much that he's saying, uh, you know, the, the, it's, it's written this, but I tell you this. Like, I have a new, a, a, a new uh, like, I'm doubling down on it. or It's like, this is what it was always supposed to be like. Is, this is the point of the law. That's Marty's argument, Marty Solomon's argument. Um, let me show you this scripture, I mean this picture. <laughs> Everybody knows what this is, right? Uh, we've, we've all heard of the, these stories of, of the Titanic or, you know, the, the idea that the iceberg, most of it is below the surface. And so, really what, 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 what Jesus is doing, and this is the, the, the way that Tim Mackey understands it, the Bible Project uh, scholar, Ph.D., is that when he says your righteousness must surpass the teachers of the law, or that Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the Torah, he's saying, I'm dealing with what's really below the surface. You know, you guys have made the law only about what's on the top. Like, don't don't murder, don't commit adultery, just kind of these outward actions, behavior modification. But I'm saying... If you if if you if you don't murder but you hate your brother you're already like that's not the you're not even following the torah the point is to not have hatred in your heart. If you don't commit adultery but you're lusting after a woman and treating her as an object in your mind and, and you know then you you're degrading her you're it's as if you slept with her it's as if you are degrading her because of what you're doing in your mind so it's what's below the surface is what you're really is what Jesus came to really deal with. And so when he says your righteousness must surpass the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that was Jesus' critique of them. He's like, it's all about the outside. Later in Matthew, he says, you clean the outside of the dish and and cup, but inside you're full of grossness. So deal with what's really below the surface. And so we are to be a community of people who are dealing with what's really there, what's really below the surface. Amen? That's who we're supposed to be. So, So we're supposed to fulfill the Torah, by being people who are, are really dealing with what's really going on, so that's what these, all these uh, commandments that, that, that Jesus will go through here in, in his uh, Sermon on the Mount are, are designed to do. they're designed to take us deeper. love your enemies like that's the kind, it, God wants a community of love. God wants a, a, a people who uh, who, who, it's like, it's how you treat people that shows who, who my people are. It's how you treat the, especially the people who you don't agree with. So, uh, next slide. So again, just, it's, who is this for? It's for everybody. It's for you and me. It's for us in our hardship. And, and what is going on is we're fulfilling the law. We're fulfilling the Torah. We're fulfilling by, by taking it deeper, by going deeper in our relationships with one another and our relationship with God and so that makes us desperate for God. So, so he says, when you pray, here's what your prayer life should be like. When you fast, here's what your fasting should be like. We, we are people of God. And, and so he says, do it in secret. Again, that means it's about what's below the surface. It's not, it's not a rule. It's not another rule to follow. Jesus said, I have to pray in the closet, so I have to pray in the closet or I'm not gonna be blessed. No, he's saying, if you're, if you're praying so that people see you, or, or, or that's, that's what's above the surface. But if your walk with God is, is it's in secret, it's you and God, and, and you and God have all these things that you do together and, and these things, that, ways that God speaks to you ways that God's working in your life that maybe nobody even knows, but you just have all of this below the surface with God. That's what he's talking about by doing in secret or giving to the needy or, uh, or fasting, not doing it as a show. Because again, the Pharisees and teachers of law, they were just dealing with what's above the surface. They were just doing a show. Does that make sense? And so we're people who, we take it deeper, and so, what kind of person you are is, is about who you are in secret. What kind of person you are, again, who are the good people and what's the good life, is about how you treat people who you don't get along with, who you don't. Anybody, Jesus says, anybody can get along with somebody that's like them. Anybody can be nice to somebody who's nice to them. How are you to people who you don't like? How are you to people who are a jerk to you? That's the good life, right? That's, and, and so, He says, be perfect. When He talks about loving your enemies, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You guys know that's in the Sermon on the Mount? That's a hard one, right? I'm supposed to be perfect? Well, it, it, the, the Greek word is teleos. It's, it's mature. It's complete. It's, and in the, you know, the, it could be argued it's, it's like holiness. Like God is, that's what Marty Solomon argues is that he thinks Matthew was originally written in, he, in Hebrew. But anyway, that's getting off topic a Bible nerd moment. But, uh, but, but think about, the point is to be like God. The point of all this is to be like God. It's not just to do enough to get along, uh, to get, uh, get by, or just, just to, to cover your bases by what people see on the top. It's I want to become more like God. I want to love people. God loves people who don't love him, so I need to become more like God. That's the whole point of going beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So I want to show you. I was at teen camp a couple weeks ago, and I did a class. They asked me to do a class on... Um, So they said, okay, suffering. Why, why is there suffering in the world? And then how can we? And then why is there injustice in the world? And then how can we, um, how can we be people who listen to the suffering that people go through? So like learning from other people's stories and, and being a safe place to really hear people out. So, so like like having a community where people who don't feel like they fit in or feel like they've been oppressed or you know have gone through hardships like they can really talk about those things. So I was talking with all the teenagers about all of that stuff, you know, so suffering and and hardship and hearing each other and uh, and you know I, I said I am a middle aged white man, you know, so I have a, that perspective, right? And and so I need to hear from people who are not like me. And I shared about my friends who taught me different things about stuff that they've experienced and. And, uh, you know, young people have taught me things about that they experience as young people. And just hearing from people, hearing from different stories, right? So that's what we talked about. And so then at the end of the talk, I just said, if anybody has a question, uh, write it on a little, we passed out some little cards, and hand those in. So I just want to share with you a few of those. We got a stack like this, but a few of those. Uh, one, One teenager wrote, how do I deal with the loss of a close family member? What scriptures can help me? Another teen wrote, we live in a world of suffering. I recently experienced a situation where someone was so hopeless they tried to take their own life. How do I give that person hope? Here's another one. Body insecurity. How do I become more loving of what I currently hate? Here's one more. I want to confess to someone, but I'm scared for his or her reaction. What is the, quote, proper way to confess a sin to someone? So I share those because, you know, that, that's what teenagers are dealing with in our church, right? That, th- these are all members of our church, you know, the L.A. Church of Christ family of churches and their kids who are at teen camp. These are the kinds of things. This is, this is the Sermon on the Mount stuff, right? That's the, the hard stuff that people go through, and how do we wrestle through it together, and how do we go below? I mean, these are questions that are way below the surface, wouldn't you say? Like, this is deep stuff. It's not just the surfacey stuff. So, I, you know, I appreciate the teenagers asking those questions and us talking about those questions. But we want to be a community of love where it's, this is the place to deal with those things. This is the place to really talk about what's really going on. I appreciate the question Rhett asked last week. Are you willing to, 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 to have the person next to you know what's really going on in your life? You know, he said. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to kind of be open and, and real and honest? And, and, and that's what's the light of the world is a community of people who are real, not just religious people. There's a lot of churches in our nation where people put on a great outfit and they show up on Sunday and they kind of, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, yes, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's just sort of like religious speak, and maybe you grew up in a church like that. I've definitely been in those. You know, I tell somebody I'm a minister. I see it a lot because I, Start talking to somebody hanging out with them, and then I tell them I'm a minister, I'm a minister and suddenly they switch into religious mode. You know, yeah. a minute ago they were just like cussing and just you know just just being real. Yeah, oh I can't stand this. Blah blah blah, doing and effing this and F and that. I'm, you know, and then a minute later I'm a minister, and oh you're a minister, okay, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know? <laughs> this is the day that the Lord hath made. But, you know that's, that's the, that's the, you know, that's what people think of Christianity. But that's not, that's not this Christianity, is it? That's not the Sermon on the Mount Christianity. The Sermon on the Mount Christianity is, like, real and hard and difficult. And, but, it's, but it's honest and it's, and it's authentic. And I think it's what people really want. I think that's why we, he says that we are the light of the world. So a few, a few questions for you in closing, and then we're going to pray for communion. Uh, number one, who do you rule out for the kingdom? You know, because that list of all those crowds, there was a lot of those people that Jesus' own disciples probably were like, wait, wait, people from the Decapolis are coming? You know, there's a lot of people that, that get ruled out. And I think, you know, especially the older we get as Christians, there's people maybe at your job or at your school or in your neighborhood, or you just go, oh, I just can't see them becoming a Christian, or I can't see them being a part of the kingdom. Uh, you know, what? The kingdom is for everyone we got to believe that. we got to start with that. The kingdom, is, is if it's for you, it's for everybody, right? I, I mean, would you have, have ruled you out? You might have, right? So, so who do you rule out? Like, we got to be kingdom-minded where we're going, okay, where is the kingdom moving in my sphere? How is God working around wherever I am? Like, I don't want to rule anybody out. Who knows how God could be working in their life? Who knows what's really below the surface? I think the reason we rule people out is because we see the top of the iceberg, and that's it. Oh, they have their life together. Their marriage is awesome. They, they're they super happy. They're, you know, they don't really need anything, right? Uh, or, you know, they're a disaster. There's no you know, I don't know what it, we rule them out for either way, but, but, but don't rule anybody out. Number two, what do you need to do to live in kingdom relationships? Like, are your relationships authentic? Are they below the surface? You know, there's a, they're part of the, of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you're at the altar and you're about to offer your offering and you realize there's a conflict, he says, leave your gift on the altar and first go be reconciled to your brother. That's a challenging topic. That's a challenging idea. But, but Jesus is saying that your relationships with each other are really important. I think we try to think, oh, it doesn't really matter. As long as I love God and God loves me and I have God. No, your connection to other people in this fellowship is really important. And so if there's conflict, you can't just leave that alone. And, and there might be issues where you've tried as much as you can. That's why in Romans it says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody, you, 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 but you've got to not give up. You've got to keep trying. We've got we to resolve that stuff and have have, uh, you know, have have the one another relationships that we see in, in the Bible. Or is there you know an enemy relationship that you have been fighting that you need to love instead? Is there somebody who's you know, at your work or you feel like, You know, they're forcing me to go one mile. Maybe you need to go two. Like, is there is there some way that God is speaking to you right now, going, This relationship needs to change, or I need to I need to take this to another level in in terms of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom works. And then the last thing is how will you respond to Jesus' teaching today? It says, you know, these people who heard Jesus teaching, they were amazed at his teaching. Amazed is one of those words that it's kind of been lost its value. You know, I play this little wordscapes game or something, you know, where you try to search for words and it'll say, you find the word amazing! (laughs) is it really amazing that I found that word? You know? (laughs) Incredible! You know, these words have kind of lost their their meaning. But that word uh, in, in the Greek for amazed, it's like they were out of their mind. It's like their mind was blown by Jesus' teaching. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount blows my mind. Every time I dig back into it and I look at Jesus and who he was and what he taught, it blows my mind. And I just go, Wow. I want. This is who I want to be, and God, take me deeper and help me and help, help me in my weakness. You know, I am weak. I am those beatitudes. You know, I need you, God, but help me. Make me more. Take me deeper. Help me to be more like you. And I, and I hope you have some kind of response like that to Jesus's lesson today. Maybe Jesus is new to you, and I encourage you to to, to read more about the Bible. Uh, ask somebody who brought you to get together and just, let's just read the Bible together and let's talk about Jesus and what it means to be his disciple. That's what we're trying to do is make disciples of Jesus just as we've been disciples of Jesus. But take some step towards Jesus today. Wherever you are is respond to Jesus' teaching. You can't just be like, oh, I'm not gonna respond. I mean, that's cold hearted. You gotta respond to Jesus in some way today as we take communion and remember his body and blood for us. So as we pray Jesus said he was the fulfillment of Torah. He was the fulfillment of the whole story. And so in the Passover, the Passover that they celebrated, and they were celebrating it that night when Jesus said he took some of the bread from the Passover meal, and he took the wine from the Passover meal, and he said, this is the new covenant. Just as God called his people out of Egypt and gave them a new land and new hope, I, you are my people, and so do this in remembrance of me. And so let's think about that as we share communion together. God, thank you to be able to Worship our King Jesus, the fulfillment of the whole story of everything that you've been doing with your people from the beginning. Thank you for the way that Jesus perfectly embodied the law, perfectly embodied the Ten Commandments and all of the Torah, God, and the way that he lived and the way he treated people and help us to be more like him. And uh, God, I know we sang about needing just a little more Jesus. I know I need a lot more Jesus. (laughs) I need like all Jesus. And uh, I just need so much of him in my life, God. And and, uh, I want to be like him. And thank you that we could share this meal together, uh, like consuming what it means to be Jesus as we eat the bread and drink the cup that represents his body and blood given for us. Bless this time of reflection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.